Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's start off with a little housekeeping. First, you may have noticed that David wasn't with us for the last couple of weeks. And David, why is that? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm moving. <laughs> no, nothing too dramatic. I'm just moving. And yeah, so one of the episodes, I was literally in a 26-foot truck driving down the interstate. And I doubt that you would want to hear that audio quality. <laughs> so yeah, uh, things are almost back to normal. But moving down to a sunnier state or near some family, it's going to be good. But yeah, it takes a while to get down there with two small children. <laughs> There may be some other times where you'll have to not be with us just because a lot of stuff is still going on. And I know moving is a pain. Yeah. Hopefully it'll all work out well. Yeah. I got to fix up a bunch of stuff, paint everything, keep the keep the kids from touching wet walls, that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the other housekeeping item is that uh, we're trying to resume back with doing more interviews. And so this episode, we're going to be talking with Holden Olette, and that's going to be another exciting interview to stick around for after the news. But with this returning to interviews, it's not necessarily going to be 100% of the time. We're going to maybe try and work it back up to that. But a lot of the point is not going to overly stress about it if something falls through for one week or something like that. So just a heads up, that's where we are. But we would love to keep going on some of these deep dives where we learn from other people and, and really get a better sense of what they're working on and how that can impact what we're doing. That's it for the housekeeping. Let's jump into the news. First up, we wanted to follow up with Livebook Launch Week. So last episode, we covered day one and day two, just because it kind of caught us in the middle of when we record. And so now we want to cover day three, four, and five. So day three was about hubs and secret management. So with each one of these days, there is a blog post on the Livebook blog. And there's also a YouTube video that gives a nice big overview and also includes smaller YouTube videos that highlights little different points they want to bring out. In this one, the post covers the new security features in Livebook 0.9, including the introduction of hubs for centralized secret management and notebook stamping to enhance user experience while maintaining security. So in this, Jose goes quite a bit into explaining why security is important and why it's been a problem with notebooks like these, like code notebooks, just in general for a long time, and how really security has to be more baked in as part of it instead of bolted on after the fact. One of the things Jose Valim highlights is he says, also, he's super proud of the work that the team did here. The fact that notebook sources are readable and that Livebook is open source imposes many additional challenges that they were ultimately able to overcome. So I wanted to talk a little bit about hubs. It looks really interesting. Livebook creates a personal hub for you, which it sounds like it can securely store and persist secrets for you then those stored secrets can be made available to a notebook that you're loading up this notebook and running this notebook. So it can pull from the secrets that are stored in your personal hub. There's a lot more we'd love to learn about this. And this is a topic we want to dig into in the upcoming weeks. So looking forward to that. But in this post, Jose also talks about Livebook Teams, which is a separate thing. It's a product that they are developing. And here's what he had to say. Livebook Teams is not a different version of Livebook. Instead, it is a hub that all of your team members and colleagues connect to in order to work together. It will manage all the Livebook secrets shared by your team and be responsible for stamping all the notebooks that belong to your group so you can safely share secrets and notebooks among team members. 
And beyond secret management, Jose shared a few points that they intend teams to help with. And that includes deploying notebooks inside your company, schedule and audit notebook execution, and authentication and authorization of team members. So a lot of stuff going on around the secret management and team access for live books. So that was all day three. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot in day three. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> Moving on to day four is building and deploying a whisper chat app to Hugging Face in 15 minutes. So Jose Valim recorded a video. Most of this is about the video that just shows you how easy it is. He builds it all in the video, and the idea is that Livebook is being used to host the apps running in it. So this video sets up a whisper chat where we record our voice speaking a message and whisper converts it to text and then sends that message as a text chat. All right, so I'll be honest, I'll let my dumb show. When I first heard of this whisper AI model, I was like, why are we having machines whispering? Like, what is what is whisper here? <laughs> What is this doing? D don't read too much into it like I did. <laughs> Whisper is just that audio transcriptions model. <laughs> yeah, it's not ASMR with AI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ooh, that would be interesting. <laughs> so watch me. <laughs> so watch me set up this live book with Whisper Chat. So, mm, mix phoenix.new. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for day four, but that's a really good impacting video too. It's like the modern, you know, deploy a blog in five minutes kind of video. Now it's all about this uh, interacting with AI kind of stuff in five minutes. Yeah. And day five is talking a lot about Explorer with the power of Rust, the elegance of R. And so they go into talking about a lot about data frames. And I'll be honest, I don't really know what data frames are, but I'm reading through this and I'm seeing Rust. And so since Rust is a keyword that triggers programmers' happiness, <laughs> you know, there's good things here. I'm joking. But they do talk about using a library that's built in Rust to have highly performant data frames. It's inspired by an R project, so which is quite expressive to quote their article. And then they kind of go through and talk about how you can now visualize data frames in an interactive table. And there's some, some short little snippets of videos showing how you can kind of paginate through the tables. And it shows how you can do data transforms with this new data transform smart cell on that data table. Imagine like Excel. This is Excel level stuff, but with the fastness <laughs> that, that Russ can bring to it and the, the vastness, the vastness of the data that can be in there. Yeah. It's like Excel with like 2000 pages or something of, of like <laughs> just so much data. Yeah. And uh, you can actually see like the, they do a good job in the user experience here in the UI where you can see like the steps that it takes that you put in there. So first I'm going to query for where these, this column equals that, or this column contains that. And then I'm going to aggregate and then I'm going to group by and all that kind of stuff. So it's pretty close to like SQL as well, like the kind of operations you might do th through a database. But this is all on a data frame and a data frame is just an Excel sheet. Just think of an Excel, you know, sheet. That's that's the ba most basic way you can think of a data frame. Anyway, this was fantastic. I, I got really excited when I saw this video. Yeah. One of the things I thought was interesting that Jose clarified at the top of the video is that Livebook covers multiple areas and the areas he named are code, machine learning, and data. And this day five video focused more on the data side, 
and how Explore fits into that as a tool that wrangles and manipulates one and two dimensional data. But in there, Jose was also alluding to this being the start of live book and data, and that we should expect more focus on the data aspect in the future. And then next up, this is not necessarily part of the launch week, but there's now an NX GitHub organization page that's been set up. It gives a nice overview of the key projects. And I was looking at it. There's a lot. Talks a little bit about each one, the rationale behind them, and it's a good collection of resources. So we'll drop a link in the show notes so you can check that out. And next up, the Oban job library was updated to 2.15.0. Oban being a job library for Elixir that's also Postgres based had some interesting things in the changelog. David, can you share a little bit about what you know some of these are? So it is mostly Postgres, but just heads up, they did add some SQLite compatibility. So that's actually one of the the items in 2.15 is SQLite 3 compatibility tooling. So it's just better there. For the most part, a lot of this was about Postgres and I'm fascinated by this. So that's why I, I looked into it. One of the things that they did was added notification compression. So before it was not compressed, now it will be compressed. And this matters because Postgres, it has its own little notification system built into Postgres. But there are limitations to it to keep it nice and fast and and all that. And one of those limitations is that each message can only be up to eight kilobytes in size. And so if you have a job that is just got a lot of arguments in there, I don't know, maybe you've got like a a long list of 2,000 items in there, you might be hitting that eight kilobit limit. And that's where some issues might show up. So compression is going to help with this a lot. If you click into the release notes, dear listener, you'll see a table of like how much this matters, but it's, I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise, right? You you, sh- you can compress text down to tiny, tiny amounts. <laughs> so eight kilobits, the limit, you know, uncompressed is now, uh, you can put in a lot of, of, of text in there uh, and not hit any issues. Yeah. So that, that was, that was a, that was a big deal. I, I thought that was pretty interesting. The other thing I thought was fascinating was they fixed an insidious Postgres query. Uh, I love this. So here's the issue. Is this quoting Soren to Parker over there at Open? An odd job fetching bug has haunted me for years now. On occasion, fetching would exceed the request limit or concurrent queries would update the same row. And that's never supposed to happen with Postgres's like skip locked parameters. And so it turns out that Postgres may ignore limit in a subquery as an obscure kind of optimization sad emoji face. (laughs) (laughs) So thankfully, we've switched to a workaround using common table expressions, CTEs, which avoids that issue. End quote. That was the insidious Postgres query where something just may not be working the way you thought it might be working. And the fact that Postgres is trying to make things better for you and then turns out just kind of breaks your your understanding of how things should work. That's just always, always interesting. (laughs) That was a subselect, and there's always like three flavors of writing things like that: subselects or uh, common table expressions. Mm-hmm. In fact, the Ecto documentation even like recommends that you probably don't even need a CTE. You, you can just compose your Ecto queries, you know, compose them application side, or it could be done in like subselects, like like what they did. <laughs> but you know, every once in a while, there are differences in how something actually works underneath the covers. So uh, I reckon that's why CTEs might exist <laughs> to help with these issues. Anyway, Open Update 215.0 is a good update. If you're doing any job processing, you should be using Open. And if you're using Open, you should update to 2.15 to get these updates. Yeah, I've recently been playing with a, a project 
And it's my first time actually using a SQLite 3 database with the Phoenix app. It's like, it was super easy to get started. It's like, why have I not tried this before? It's like super easy. But yeah, it's like, it's interesting seeing Open saying, hey, we want to have SQLite 3 compatibility also there too. So, and next, Phoenix Streams has an update coming. So we've seen some activity happening on the main branch. So it's not officially part of a release, but this does handle some interesting problems that people have been encountering as they've been early adopting this really cool new feature with streams. So one of them was that there's a limitation that stream insert really only supported updating the collection with one item at a time. So that was one issue. And then also passing a DOM ID to stream slash four is deprecated as a change. And we should be using stream configure slash three instead. And one of the changes that was made as of April 14th on the main branch is that stream four will now allow bulk operation changes. So by default, calling stream four on an existing stream will bulk insert the new items on the client while leaving the existing items in place. And streams may also be reset when calling stream four. Resetting a stream is empties a stream container on the client and you can pass reset with an empty list. One of the things we'd seen when people were doing these demos with streams it was, worked great for doing like infinite scroll back or adding new items to the bottom or inserting or replacing or removing items anywhere in that list. But it really didn't work for pagination. Like if I want to just go from page one to page two and replace all of it, that really wasn't easy. And so now with the reset on a stream, that becomes something that's easier to do because really streams have been kind of put out as the default way to approach something like using the Phoenix generators, that's the default way to do something as an index page. So it's really nice to see some of these improvements coming that will help with those batch operations where I want to do wholesale replacements of stuff too. Another update to the Phoenix Live View is supporting ordered inputs within the inputs for function. This is to pair with Ecto's new sort param and drop param casting. So we've got more info in the Ecto documentation, and I think we're going to find out a little bit more about how to use this in Phoenix at ElixirConf EU. So it'll be interesting. We won't spoil it. So uh, by the time you hear this, actually, I think ElixirConf EU might have happened. So maybe you'll you'll know more than we do at that point by the time you're listening to this. <laughs> And the next up, I just wanted to throw in a cool tip I saw on a Twitter thread where it was shared how to have a better safe than sorry kind of situation where Ecto, TLDR, is kind of wrapping an operation in a transaction. And if it's set to be a dry run, they roll back the transaction and give the results of what would have happened, which I thought was pretty cool. So check out the link if you're interested in something like that. And as David mentioned, ElixirConf EU is right around the corner from when we're recording this. So by the time this episode comes out, it will already be over. We wanted to mention and just kind of call out that the keynotes for this conference look really good. Usually, the keynote videos are made available online afterward and pretty soon afterward, too. So hopefully, it's something we'll be able to see very soon. But Jose Valim was going to be talking about bringing Elixir to life. Chris McCord was going to be talking about the road to LiveView 1.0. And I think he's going to be talking about some of these stream updates and things like that. So that'll be exciting to see. Another keynote by Shankar is lessons from using Elixir and Phoenix to build a city software infrastructure. This is a big case study of how this was used in a public infrastructure. Very cool stuff. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes out of ElixirConf EU. And that's it for the news. Elixir and Phoenix are incredible. They make it possible to quickly build highly resilient and reliable systems capable of operating at incredible scale 
Fly.io is a great place to host Elixir apps. You can deploy your app to multiple regions around the world with a private network linking them all together so your app can cluster and globally do some incredible Phoenix magic. Give your users a more responsive UI while writing less code and moving the app closer to your users without needing an ops team. Check out fly.io for your next Elixir app. Today, we're being joined by two special guests. We have Holden Olette and Griffin Byatt. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be here. All right. Well, I'm excited to have both of you here because we want to talk about Sobolo, the library that is a static analysis tool that's been in the Elixir community for a long time. It's been something that's been really helpful to me personally for where at companies that I worked at. And I was like super glad it existed. And we want to talk about where it came from, make sure people are aware of this tool, but also the maintainership changes and things that are happening with the project and where it's going in the future. So thank you guys for joining us. But before we jump into all of that, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you personally. Like, where do you live and what kind of work are you doing? My name is Holden Olet. I currently live in, in Portland, Oregon, and I work at Podium as a security architect just helping all of our engineering teams secure our products and are primarily Elixir code base. And I'm uh, Griffin Byatt. I, I guess I'm a, a manager of the cloud security team now at Amazon, a recent transplant to the Pacific Northwest. All right. Note to self, if you care about security, you live on the West Coast. <laughs> so Griffin, I guess I didn't realize that you were actually working at Amazon. That's cool. Yeah, I've been there for like three years now. I started as a cloud security engineer, and that's been been really fun. Uh, but about a year and a half ago, I took over the team as manager, and that's been uh, a very different and, I guess, differently rewarding experience. Are you still writing Elixir then? I mean, not as an engineering manager as much, but does Amazon <laughs> do any Elixir? I'm not writing any Elixir for Amazon. I think we'll probably talk about it a little more, but unfortunately, I haven't had a lot of opportunity to to write Elixir these days. Mostly, a lot of uh, CDK and cloud formation and infrastructure as code stuff. Mm, okay, so you're professional yammling at the moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that Amazon and AWS and all the related Amazon stuff mostly focused on Java. So I, I, I would have been really like happily surprised. Like, oh my gosh, they're using Elixir too? <laughs> Did not know that. Would not have guessed it. <laughs> and Holden, we talked with you previously in episode 122, where we talked about securing Elixir and teaching the team and some of the cool stuff that you were doing there with the secure coding training. You talked about ElixirConf and everything. So I think the main thing we see here is there's a lot of security discussion between the two of you guys that's going on and a lot of involvement in the security aspects of, of tech and Elixir in particular. With that, I'd love to jump in and talk more about Sobolo. So first of all, what is Sobolo? What does it do, especially for those who may not know, and maybe they're coming new to this and they need to know that Sobolo exists. What does it do? What does it do? Holden, you give the pitch. All right. Yeah. No, uh, so Sobolo is a static code analysis tool. Uh, primarily, it's run as a, a mixed task in the CI pipeline or locally to check for known bad patterns in Elixir code bases. You know, it, it was traditionally used on Phoenix framework projects, but it also works on just normal Elixir code bases as well. So. As I was thinking about this topic, I had this question come to my mind, which is like, if you've ever started a dialyzer project, on a project that already has existed for a long time, 
you feel bad about it. There's errors everywhere. And like you quite possibly never get to the point where you can just say fail if there's any errors, right? What is what is the story for something like Sobolo? If you start it up, your your company's getting big enough now that you're like, we need to be serious about security. We want to run static analysis. We turn it on for the first time. What is that going to look like? You'll get some some information and it might be a little overwhelming at first, but I think like once you start to throw some filters on it, you'll you'll kind of realize like a lot of the findings are, are pretty worthwhile at the very least. And and it'll it'll at least encourage you to go through some of your functions and double check to make sure you're not vulnerable there. Uh, as opposed to like, you know, dialyzer or credo checks or something, right? Like, you know, you're more incentivized to go through and, and really make sure you're not potentially compromisable. Yeah, I, I will say for for a brand new project, Sobolo, at least historically, has been optimized for ensuring that there's no false negatives. So, you know, if there's directory traversal in your application, it will highlight it, but it will do that pretty aggressively. So you'll end up checking a few places just to make sure. And then like Holden said, you can filter out things that you've verified are not a problem. So Cade, you brought up this question of, you know, maybe I'm bringing it in now. So I guess my question is, who is the ideal user for this? Like, who is it that's going to be reaching for Sobolo? And like, what do they look like? Help me as a developer. I'm, I'm an Elixir dev. I work at a company. How do I know that I should be using so below and you know that it's the right tool for me yeah i i think that if you are a company that deploys elixir code into production you know it's more than likely you should be running so below in your deployment pipeline as a sort of surefire way to make sure you're checking when it goes out to production but if you're a developer like i think that doesn't just having that workflow alone doesn't eliminate the use case for so below locally with a lot of the concepts of shifting left and that we that we've talked about previously but moving security testing further and further into the and earlier into the software development life cycle you know you want to have as a developer the ability to check for your code to be secure and being able to run so below locally or using tools like you know linters in your IDE are definitely ways that you can expedite the process of checking for secure code. And so I think those are some ways that you should be using Sobolo to kind of check as you go so you don't have to find out later later down the line. What I'm hearing then is if I'm shipping anything to production, then I probably should be using this in my CI pipeline at a minimum, right? Just like I should just plug it in and and get it set up and configured for my project and I should start there. So I do want to talk a little bit more about the history of the project because it's been available to the community for a long time. And I know it came at a time when I worked at a company, we were working with financial data and we're working with partner banks. And there was a requirement that we have security analysis as a tool that was on our project. And that's right about the time Sobolo showed up. And I was like, oh, thank goodness, because I needed this, right? So I want to hear a little bit about how it got created and the history of it and where it came from. Like, why did, why was this created? I guess it's not very surprising. I really enjoyed writing Elixir and uh, was having a lot of fun building Phoenix applications in my spare time. And there was just kind of this noticeable gap of something that, that I was more familiar with in like the Rails community with, I can't remember what their static analysis tool is. It's some train metaphor. <laughs> 
I can't, I can't remember. But yeah, there was just an obvious gap. I was working at NCC Group at the time, which is a, a security company. They do penetration testing and they have a like a research and development encouragement thing. So I was like, I, I pitched it. I said, I want to make this thing. They gave me a couple of weeks to to put something together. And then I got to write a blog post and get a bonus for, for completing research. So that was the essentially complete development cycle. I think that leads us into this next question I have, which is like, how does Sobolo actually work? We know from what you've said, it's a static analysis tool. So what is what is the alternative, right? Is that like a, a runtime execution tool? So help us understand where this fits and what it's able to do so we can understand what it can't do as well. At a very basic level, the, the tool is just parsing the AST and looking for potentially concerning patterns. So like you said, it's not doing any dynamic analysis uh, or runtime analysis, which means that there's a degree of uncertainty in findings. So it's not like you're you're running a test and you say, I definitely see that we have this bad output. You know, we're just doing analysis of the of the program structure and saying, this looks potentially concerning, or this is a pattern that we've seen before that causes problems. Uh, and then we can assign a kind of lossy probability of just like high confidence or low confidence in the finding. Yeah. And and to add on to that too, like I think that one of the allures of the Elixir programming language is this concept of metaprogramming. And I've I've spoken on this before with different interview, but I, I, I really think that the approach that was taken here is just it makes so much sense, um, honestly, for the pairing of, you know, Elixir and and so below is just being able to break apart, you know, the Elixir code base into what it natively knows and being able to like work in it that way. And so it, it makes the whole problem very approachable and uh, continuing to build out so below and features is is very attainable because of the the native functionality for metaprogramming. So so help me understand like one one example then. So if if I for a particular check of getting user sourced data and making sure it doesn't get like directly rendered in some template or something along those lines, right? How does Sobolo detect that? You know, like I'm working through options in my head like like it knows that this is a controller because it has a use, you know, colon controller in there, even though I could have metaprogrammed that to use like my own version of something that's not the boilerplate Phoenix code, right? So how does it know that this is a controller? Okay, now it's got, you know, a, a parameters, which is always the second position or something like that. And then it has to like travel these variables that go to a view, that go to a template, you know, and and then is rendered with the raw or something or is is it true? Can you do the double equals? Is that a Ruby thing? I can't remember. But there's like two ways you can do raw. I think. How does that static analysis work for that whole flow, or or is it much simpler than that? Did I just make things way more complicated? <laughs> no. So you 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 essentially described exactly what it does. Oh wow. Um, okay. <laughs> especially for looking at views, it's not super straightforward. But fortunately, just I think a, a side effect of being a functional programming language, things are fairly are fairly stateless. So it, it makes it easier to reason about just the overall state of the program at any given time. I don't know if this is the, the case anymore because I haven't touched the code base in a bit, but uh, historically, if you were doing some weird metaprogramming to not include like the, the use controller, then it would 
not detect that as a controller and it would whatever findings it had it would give a lower probability because it wasn't certain that it was a controller but a benefit of the phoenix structure is that things are pretty well defined and people tend to to stick to a little less magic than you probably could use so you get pretty decent findings out of that another thing i want to make sure we touch on is this idea of that security is not solved once I've hooked Sobolo up into my app, right? It's not like, okay, we've got security tool now. Don't have to think about security code. It's going to catch everything. I just want to make sure we have some some uh, expectation set on what this can and can't do. And so we know it's a static analysis. It's not doing dynamic runtime analysis. So I think that's interesting, right? Just that understanding that difference, but that also means it fits really great into a CI pipeline, right? Holden, you mentioned a couple times that CI pipelines really are the perfect place to stick this. Walk me through how I would get this set up for my project. You can have this set up in, in a number of different ways. But what I've seen most commonly is folks tend to include Sobolo's dependency in their you know, mix file and you know, set it up as a, a mixed task to run. And you run that as a scheduled job, whether it's a, you know, a CI action in, in GitHub or like a GitLab CI file in, in, in GitLab. You can do it in a number of different ways, just somewhere in CI, essentially. And you you, you want to have a spot where it will run on your code base, the, the current version of the code base. So if it's an MR, you want it to be running on the most recent changes and spitting out the results. Now, where you go from there kind of depends on your organization, whether or not you have a dedicated security team to kind of triage and look into results, or if you want to sort of democratize security amongst the product teams. But, you know, what we do at Podium is we actually block the the development pipeline right then and there if there's a high enough confidence finding from Sobolo. And we say, hey, pump the brakes. Here's the error. Uh, and we we encourage the development teams to kind of look into it themselves and reach out to the security team for with any questions. So if I get a failure like that and it, it it breaks the build, right, which is a good thing to put a halt on there, what is it Sobolo going to show me in terms of helping me understand what it found and how, like, it might say, oh, I found this kind of a, a directory traversal. Like, uh, what do I what do I do about that? Like, does it help me with that too? In the error output, there is, you know, a, a line indicator and, and even, you know, a code, like where in the code exactly you're seeing this error. And then if you have the verbose flag enabled for Sobolo as well, it'll actually like output the code block and, and kind of do some nice, pretty highlighting for what is the, the susceptible code. As well as, you know, in the module docs, we have sort of an explanation of the vulnerability and more resources to learn more about it and how to go about kind of fixing it if there's a recommended way. So as an example, I was I was playing around with it and I saw unsafe binary to atom, right? And it pointed to a place where some code was converting some string to some atom, which, you know, we know could potentially lead to catastrophic situations with your memory if you allowed someone from the World Wide Web to maybe enumerate over that and, and turn every word phrase possible into an atom and you'd run out of memory, right? And But then again, if you're doing it in a place where it's contained, I guess maybe it's not going to turn into that. So you kind of have to review it and look at it and say, yeah, this is definitely bad. I need to fix it. Or that's not going to happen here. I know better than Soblo ignored. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's why, you know, the tool allows for, you know, commenting out like potentially vulnerable functions. If there is 
a uh, false positive. And I mean, I, I believe personally that like that sort of manual review step is still really necessary, even if it isn't a true positive, mainly because a, it, it lets the, the developer know like, hey, this could be a potential issue, right? You should double check. And if they weren't aware of it before, then hopefully they are now. And it kind of causes that sort of mental bridge to be built of like, oh, yeah, this is a thing, the, you know, unsafe, you know, binary to Adam. Well, what I think is is worth mentioning there is that the idea that it's not a false positive in that, oh, you weren't actually calling this dangerous function. No, you were. You were calling this dangerous function. It gives us that point where we can pause and look at the context and say, well, within this situation, we know we can trust the input. So it's okay to use this unsafe function. It correctly identified that, oh, you're, you're doing something that could be bad. And what I love about that is it puts in Sobolo as a security teaching tool in our pipeline, especially if you have junior, mid-level, even senior devs, but that we're just coding something. I got it working. I push it up and it fails. And it's like, it's not embarrassing. It gives me an opportunity to go fix my own code, research it myself. Oh, I learned something new. It inserts an opportunity for education about security. So I think that's a really cool aspect of it. Speaking of educational bits here, uh, Holden, can you remind me, wasn't there a live book that was uh, being developed to to teach these kinds of principles too? Uh, Maybe alongside of Sobolo or using Sobolo? Is there a lot of Sobolo tie-ins now? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) No, it's it's a great point. Um, I was you know, reviewing some of, you know, my previous materials and, uh, you know, our previous conversation and also like my Elixir Conf talk. And it's just, it's funny looking back now and being like, oh yeah, there's this tool Sobolo was built by Griffin. And, and then now it's like, now we're here. So I, I think there's definitely a tighter integration and it just makes the whole story a little bit easier. I don't know. We, we've been working pretty hard on like releasing new versions of the, you know, Elixir secure coding training. Um, and yeah, I, what I, what I've tried to do is, is just keep it kind of pretty agnostic of those who have built it. You know, I, I, there's no need to toot our own horn or anything. So, uh, you know, it, it, but it's worth calling out just being like, hey, this thing was built and here's the link to the repo. And and I think folks, if for fo- if folks are curious enough, they'll kind of put the connection together a little bit. Right, right. And and just to, just to say it again, it seems in case it wasn't clear before, but Griffin, you, you helped build this, you launched this, you've moved on from your roles. And so now Sobolo has been handed over maintainership over to Holden. Is there anyone else involved or do we have everybody here? <laughs> I guess that's a Holden question. <laughs> at this point in time, it's just me. But I think like for us at Podium, we actually just brought in uh, Jose internally to do a little talk at Podium. And, and he kind of reconfirmed for us that we are still the largest Elixir shop. Oh, interesting. Cool. Pretty neat. Um, yeah, we have about 150, 175 pure Elixir developers and stuff. Wow. Yeah. So I think like it makes sense for us to have some amount of like ownership of like being able to ma- help maintain and continue on with with Sobolo. We have a product security team that's specifically developer focused, and and so they they're coders, they're Elixir coders, and so having them get involved in helping maintain on an ongoing basis is like, I think super awesome. And, and something that we want to help contribute to the community where we're unintentionally slowly acquiring packages in the community. And <laughs> so, so below is obviously the biggest one. And then, um, actually one of our engineers, the maintainer for hammer. Okay. Rate limiting. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, we're starting to kind of grow out that way and we want to like really contribute. And I mean, like 
I think I mentioned, obviously, that Podium is one of the biggest Elixir shops, but we're pretty quiet about it for the most part. And I think I'd love to see us start to change and then start to support the community even more and really get get out there and, and overhaul our sort of open source stature. And I think that's that's something we're working on. It takes time when you, you're working at a place that's getting bigger. So, mm-hmm. But I think it's something we're really passionate about and really excited to have sort of a vested interest in libraries like, like Sobelow and Hammer and such. Well, Griffin, I want to come back to you because we've talked about in the programming community, the challenge that we have as a maintainer. It's like, oh, I have this idea for this library. And now it becomes popular and that becomes the curse, right? The curse of popularity because now you've committed to it for like years of your life and you're not being paid for it. And like just some of that struggle and like Holden, you're talking about how how can a company help support some of those libraries, which I think is fabulous. But Griffin, I'd just love to hear a little bit about from your perspective, what it was like as part of that transition to how Holden got involved. But like, what was that like for you? Like you're not doing active Elixir development. You've changed jobs. Like what was going on there? It was definitely an interesting experience. One, owning a, a popular library that has people opening issues and discussing problems that they're having with it and all that is a, a very fun and rewarding experience for me. And I I get a lot of joy out of responding very quickly to people. So, you know, it's synced up to my email. I get an email, someone saying, I have a problem. And then I'll be like, I'm going to push a fix during my lunch break. And then everybody's super happy. And that feels really good. So I changed jobs and I continued to, to own and maintain Sobolo for about a year. And then the pandemic happened. And then I had two kids and then I became manager and I was like, oh my God, I don't have time for anything. And I could no longer do the thing that I liked, which was, you know, really good quote unquote customer service of the library. And I just had to unlink my email from, from getting alerts and just like, hope I could get back around to it. So Holden reached out on Twitter or tagged me in a, in a, in a Twitter thread. And I was like, yeah, would love some help and just uh, shoot me an email. He emailed me and we had a, I guess, a, a common background of NCC group and I'd seen him around in the like Elixir security community. So it was a pretty easy, like, you know what, here you go. You can have direct commit access and this is all awesome. And it's been great to, you know, I reconnected email and now I get to see hold in very quickly making people happy so uh it feels good again that's awesome it worked out that way like it doesn't always work out that way sometimes you're reaching out can i help can i help and then the maintainer just like you never hear from them not only did they unlink their email they threw their phone and then the lake they 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 deleted they they reformatted their computer forgot how to sign into github like you never hear from them again yeah it had a happy ending It it did have a happy ending and also give kudos to, you know, Elixir and like the the development tools at large that they are just pretty stable. And so I could have a tool that I don't update for over a year and it didn't break immediately. And it took a while for things to start having issues. So that's, I think, a big, a big plus to Elixir. So that, so that brings me to a question for you then, Holden. Sobolo, I imagine, has been around longer than compile tracers have been in Elixir. Uh, compile tracers were introduced in 1.10. We're on the eve of 1.5 now. So what is that? About two and a half years ago? 
So I know that since a way Sobolo detects issues with code is by statically analyzing the AST at compile time and learn knowing these these patterns, you just have certain rules set up and confidence levels. But I have to assume, correct me if I'm wrong, that that was done before compile tracing was there. Is that something that could really help Sobolo to, to be more effective? Like we had talked about like the use controller thing. If you did some weird metadata, meta programming thing that didn't use that like nomenclature anymore, like you could still compile trace that it is importing the phoenix.controller phoenix or plug.com, you know, whatever those kinds of modules to know that, yes, these checks might be more relevant for this module, even though it's it's called, you know, my app dot something controller, but in French. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, it's a, it's a great question. And and kind of where I want to take that is with a little bit of a non-answer. So I apologize. <laughs> but essentially, like this sort of approach to SAST, um, so static application security testing, is a very valid one. And but I think like we are like bottlenecked by our ability to create new patterns. Right. And I think that's like a big reason why. Soblo has been successful for so long and hasn't actually really needed too many changes. It's just like it's really good at analyzing and detecting for these patterns. But that's where like things could immediately be improved. It's like, oh, I think there are a few more patterns since, you know, that could be introduced with live view or, you know, live view native. Like we're starting to get into that territory and like the underlying code bases and checks haven't been updated since then, since those introductions. And so like you really have to kind of step back and think like, all right, if we completely overhaul how Sobolo analyzes code, like what would we really gain in terms of security detection? Are we still going to be at that same sort of bottleneck? And so when I think about like the future of detections in Sobolo, I think about maybe some other strategies, particularly around taint analysis. That's been an area that's been very fascinating for me. And to kind of expand on that a little bit, um, currently Sobolo will break apart entire code base and just say, ah, this is this is a function in this file. And within this function, it does this, this, and this. And the pattern is looking for certain functions that are running, or excuse me, yeah, certain operations that are running within a function and notifying based off that. But as we kind of touched on earlier, like it could be a false positive, right? Or, or not necessarily a false positive, but a potential finding in which it's taking input and putting it into a vulnerable function. But who knows if that input is actually a dangerous user input. And with taint analysis, what we do is try and connect the dots of like, ah, oh, we are taking untrusted user input at this step way before the function and passing it al along and down through the chain into this vulnerable function. And once you can make that connection, you're like, yes, this is vulnerable. But if you can make it the assertion 100% that you are never taking user input and putting it into this dangerous function, it's much lower confidence that it can be exploited. And so I think that that alone is a much more surefire way to uh, increase the detection rate and make it more robust as a tool that wouldn't require uh, completely overhauling how we do um, static analysis today. Gotcha. Uh, th though, if the, if the tool to tag these kinds of like variables as user input and, and trace that through the rest of the application, yay. Yeah, if you can use that new feature, then great. But you're right. Getting those new patterns is much more to the goal of what Sobolo is trying to do. So totally understands. Thanks thanks for your non-answer answer. Great. <laughs> it was great nonetheless. <laughs> well, what I think is interesting, like 
Griffin, you talked about how how stable things were and it was able to just be solid for a long period of time. And then, you know, we we're also talking about there's a lot of change that's been happening with live view, like live sessions like that, that if we don't handle them right, it can be a security concern. So that's that's a challenge, I think, of in terms of Holden, you now kind of owning some of that maintainership is how to stay on top of changes to the fundamental tools like live view and things that we can do and where that might be something we need to start checking for. Like, can you talk about how how that happens? I think Holden's probably going to be able to give a, a much more in-detail answer. But one thing that I'd shout out is uh, the code base for Sobolo is quite sprawling. And it was it was created in a couple of weeks. And so if you take a look at the internals, I'm not super proud of everything in there. But one thing that I am really happy with is the way that I designed the, the module structure. Adding a check for a new pattern ends up being something really, really straightforward. So there haven't been a lot of updates because I was uh, MIA. But uh, I think you know now that there's somebody at the wheel, um, actually adding all of these checks should be straightforward. So the design of the tool was primarily intended to support that. And I guess a little context there, just uh, my previous job as a pen tester where I created the tool, I wanted to very quickly be able to, you know, just run standalone scans on on whatever whatever packages uh, and then get some output and then update, you know, make modules on the fly, essentially. So it was really optimized for that. Yeah. And and to kind of tack on, because I completely agree. I, I like when I started to get more familiar with the code base under the hood, I was like, wow, this is like, it's very straightforward. I'm not intimidated by, you know, making new modules, you know, when I eventually get there. I, I wanted to clean some stuff up first, but... And I think like any of the underlying code changes I have sort of like in the future planned out doesn't have to do with the module structure. It mainly has to do with just like, should we switch some of this to like functionality to be more like fault tolerant and, you know, maybe decouple some of the the, the functionality just because like there's a couple files that are just very big. And so, all right, how we kind of make it a little bit more maintainable. And I think that's really where like the future is and, and my... <laughs> I have a, a written roadmap. I'm hoping to get translated into sort of GitHub issues and uh, more milestones. But I have a very large hypothetical roadmap. And I think like one of the first stops is essentially like just making the code base more approachable to folks that aren't just, you know, myself and Griffin. And really like highlighting the fact that, yeah, modules are really easy to make. Like, so why... Don't we encourage the community to to help if they want kind of thing, right? And, you know, I, I think if we have the sort of the bus factor is, is too low and being able to keep up with all of the changes and developments in the Elixir community with just a couple of us is, isn't going to be scalable. And so let's just reduce that barrier of entry and really outline like contributed guidelines and and how how best to, you know, architecture diagrams and like, this is how you build a module. This is how you build a new check. Like, I think those are like really it's kind of like soft skills in a way, but it's just like, it is a very easy way to improve this status of the the ecosystem right now, uh, the Sobolo ecosystem, and then encourage folks to contribute and stay on top of the ever-changing developments in Elixir. That's really cool. I like that. And I feel like it follows the pattern of what you would expect from cybersecurity scanners, right? Like whenever there's a vulnerability scanner, there's some templating engine 
that's been like really thought through. All you got to do is put a request here. And if it matches this regex, like then they likely have this vulnerability and it will throw an alert next time you run it. Right. And so it sounds like it's modeled after somebody who was familiar with the cybersecurity industry. Like there's modules where you just like maybe define things to, to search for. And if you get a positive result, then you flag it with a certain level of confidence. So sounds cool. Sounds interesting. I like that. So with that, you started to talk about future plans, and maybe that's where we can close out. I'm just curious as to if there's anything in particular that you can share, like, oh, this is the next thing I have, you know, slated for the project. I could go on for for hours at this point, but I think like in the immediate, I think like what I'd really like to get sort of shored up is sort of improving the, the testing suite to allow for quicker iterations of Sobolo. I learned firsthand, uh, you know, I just released like my first sort of version for Sobolo a couple weeks ago. And uh, I learned very quickly that if you don't check every edge case, someone's going to have an issue. And uh, that was a learning thing for me. <laughs> and I want to not run into that issue again. <laughs> but I think it's great, right? And, and so like, how do we create like, what does end-to-end testing look like for Sobolo? Like, um, you know, when, when I connected with Griffin, he was like, hey, I, I usually check by just running it against like, X number of, of popular open source Elixir projects. I'm like, great, like, let's do that. But then are we compiling compiling the project in every way that everybody uses it? Because you can use it as a mixed task. You can use it standalone. You can use it as a GitHub action. And, and that's where it really caught me is like, oh, I was breaking on, on GitHub actions and I wasn't testing that. So how do we have this sort of robust end-to-end testing suite? So I think that's like, that's the first thing. And then beyond that, I'd really like to kind of build out a couple of the easier modules that could be checked. You know, I think there's, a more recent like Phoenix fix that came out a few months ago that like I'd love to just sort of push out there. I think it had to do with cross origin he- uh, headers, and so like just getting new checks and stuff out there. I think is is a pretty immediate thing. More long term though, you know, we touched on sort of SAS and versus like dynamic or, or runtime analysis, and I think that there is an opening in the ecosystem for that. And I think like a direct partnership with Sobolo to essentially be able to create known as an IaaS platforms on interactive application security testing tool is on the horizon. And I've, I've started discussions with the Erlang Ecosystem Foundation Security Working Group about that. And like, how can we leverage Sobolo, whether like in the tool or as a separate tool that then like partners with it to create this like really robust and high confidence security testing tool. So I, I think that's in the future. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. It's starting to kind of take shape. Again, I, I have a swath of notes that I want to transform into more actionable roadmap items. And hopefully, actually, by the time this this comes out, that will be more public facing. Because, yeah, again, I, I think the hope is first step, reducing the barrier of entry for contributing to the package. And if I can get sort of that, the ideas out there, hopefully other folks might be feel encouraged and empowered to take on some of that work as well. So I do, I just want to mention that it was version 0.12.0 and then uh, like .1 and .2 that you're referring to as the recent stuff that you worked on, which is uh, really great to see. Sounds pretty clear that you're like, I want this to be easy for people to contribute to. So that that would be like an open invitation for people to help out with the project, right? I mean, this is like such a cornerstone of the community and Honestly, it's like that's what drew me to this project in the first place. When I when I started at Podium, that was my first time really being pushed into the Elixir ecosystem. And I was like, okay, what do we do about code security? And I was like, oh, well, Sobolo. And it's made by a 
NCC guy. And I was like, oh, great. And so like that's when I first started like paying attention and like really using it and getting in the weeds. And yeah, I was just like, wow, everybody relies on this. If you Google like how to secure Elixir, it's always like so blow. And I'm like, OK, so <laughs> this is like this is really important. And and so like continuing the development because like security never rests. And so I, I keeping up development is super important. And I think this is for the community and by the community. So let's make sure that it can be iterated on by the community. One thing I want to make sure is clear is how important Sobolo is to the community. There are so many projects that we work on where there is a requirement, a business requirement that says you have to have SOC compliance or SOC 2 or this other compliance. And a lot of that compliance says you have to have automated security checks of your code or it has to be security audited on a regular basis. And that means you're paying somebody to actually do the audits. And it's like, no, I, I want to have a tool. So the fact that this tool exists is incredible. It, it really is what enabled me to be able to say, yes, we can have Elixir be this tool at this company. At this time, it's dealing with financial data and we have these compliance requirements. It really helped unlock that. So I want to say thank you, Griffin, for creating Sobolo and doing all that work to keep it going. And especially as you were transitioning out and your life was changing, I, just, I really appreciate your work in creating that. Yeah, well, it's been a, a very rewarding experience. And I guess I'll, I'll pass along, thanks now to, to Holden. This is the very first time we've ever actually spoken, not via text. <laughs> so it's been great to meet you, Holden. And uh, I'm really happy that someone who's passionate and active and, and invested in, in the security of the ecosystem is, is taking the reins. Well, likewise, I, I really do appreciate everything you've put into the project to this point. You know, I, I think this, like, again, I, we've already talked about it, but it is such, so crucial to the ecosystem that I'm, I'm very honored to be able to, like, help out. And it's been very personally rewarding for me to be able to, like, contribute at this scale. And I know that my company appreciates it as well. So being able to have an even tighter integration with what I do day to day uh, has been really great. Yeah, and I did just want to say thank you, Holden, for stepping up to say, I'm willing to take responsibility and ownership of this to help it move forward. And I really appreciate your efforts there. And that's Podium is sponsoring that time, right? It's not just like, I'm going to do this on my free time. It's like, no, they're paying and that's part of your role. So I think that's wonderful too. So my last question is, I noticed that Sobolo Project is still housed under the NCC group. And I'm just curious, is there any plans to rehome it under a different GitHub organization? And does that even matter? I think that there are business politic reasons that that may not happen. We do have a Sobolo organization where the action is housed. GitHub sent me a sweatshirt to to create that action, so that was really cool. But the application itself, Sobolo, is uh, was sponsored by NCC Group. They gave me, they paid me to to create as part of research time. When I left, I I asked if if we could transfer out and uh, the, the answer I got at the time was no. So question mark, possibly we'll see, um, but I, I expect it to stay there for the long term. That's cool. And I, I can see how that doesn't impede any progress of development. So that's excellent. All right. Is there anything else you guys want to mention or bring up before we close? Thank you for the time. Really appreciate it. And being able to chat a little bit about Sobolo and, and the future and getting the word out that we're open for more contributions yeah and it's it's easier than it seems i promise to to everybody so if <laughs> uh, if you do want to take a look before the 
the improved documentation comes out. Uh, modules are not are not too scary. Awesome. Well, if people do want to get in touch with you individually or just with the project, what's the best way to do that? Well, I guess uh, Holden's kind of proof that tagging me on Twitter works. <laughs> so uh, feel free. I think you've just invited a bunch of people to just <laughs> spam you on Twitter. No, I. but yes, I, I am available on Twitter as well. And you can also reach out on, on the Sobolo repo, open up an issue and I'll kind of jump in and get some thoughts. All right. And we will have uh, ways people can get in touch with you in the show notes that people can check out later. But unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.